Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. Robocop or Abolition and Unpacking Robocopaganda. <laughs> Hello everyone, and welcome to this week's mini-episode of the Horror Vanguard. I am one of your co-ghosts, Ash, joined as always by the Licrit Guy, otherwise known as John. How is it going, John, otherwise known as a Licrit Guy? <laughs> uh, I am great, otherwise known as excited. I'm <laughs> really happy to be here talking uh, about just a genuinely amazing 80s movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, per perhaps even uh, the a perfect film. Very few flaws in this movie. It is rare that we we'll, we would find something that we would both be willing to say that about. So, and this is this is truly the merger. Uh, this this particular filmmaker that we'll be discussing today really does represent like the pure dialectic synthesis of our tastes in cinema. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't I can't argue with you there. Um, if you were trying, if you were trying to take my taste in film and your taste in film, and you were trying to put them into one person, you would come up with this filmmaker. <laughs> However, before before we uh, we reveal the secret of today's filmmaker, who you probably already know because you've seen the title of the episode, so it's not really much of a secret then, is it? But before we go any further in the episode, we have a special message from our friends at Channel Zero. As protests heat up, the Channel Zero Network has some reminders on how to stay safe while out in the streets. Bring buddies and don't let them out of the range of your voice. Write a legal aid number on your body so you can get help if you get arrested. Be sure to know your buddies' legal names and birthdays. You'll need these to help find them if they're arrested. When moving around, walk, don't run. Stick together. Turn off your phone while out in the streets to avoid surveillance of your location and so as not to have your unlocked phone taken by the authorities or other bad actors. Try your best not to stick out in a crowd. Cover up tattoos with clothing or body paint. Cops will use footage from the protest to try to identify you. Wear clothes that are good for moving quickly. Avoid wearing jewelry and wear closed-toed shoes. Wear your mask at all times, even if you're talking to someone, in order to guard yourself against surveillance, COVID-19, pepper spray, and tear gas. Avoid wearing contact lenses. Bring goggles of some kind in case of tear gas or pepper spray. Consider wearing bike helmets as police often cause head injuries with batons and other weapons. Don't take photos or videos of people doing anything illegal or with their faces uncovered. Whenever possible, film the cops, not the protesters. Only put water in your eyes. Don't use milk or baking soda or anything else. Clean water is the safest thing to use at a protest. If possible, bring a water bottle to drink from and a water bottle to flush out the eyes of any comrades who are maced or tear gassed. And white comrades are encouraged to follow the lead of black and brown comrades as they bear the brunt of state brutality. Follow Unicorn Riot and Channel Zero Network member It's Going Down for ongoing updates. The Channel Zero Network sends you all solidarity. Stay safe out there and never stop fighting for a better world. Thank you to our friends at Channel Zero. Um, please do put these uh, tips into practice and make the most of the shared knowledge that exists out there. Um, if you are out on the streets, stay safe, take care of your comrades, uh, and um, and solidarity. Yes, solidarity forever. 
Speaking of solidarity, let's talk about a certain filmmaker who definitely is creating anti-corporate propaganda, at the very least, Verhoeven. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about Paul Verhoeven. Let's talk about Paul Verhoeven. Um, I, I we are both very big fans of Verhoeven's work, um, like and a kind of over-the-top action aesthetic, often hyper-violent, often about large institutions, corporations, the military, and the police. And I said before we started recording, and maybe you have come across this too, that I have often seen people initially dismiss Verhoeven as being a kind of right-wing filmmaker, maybe even like sympathetic to fascism. Yeah, I do, I do have seen people who are incredibly wrong. Yes, because there are two there are two ways of reading reading his films, right? There's the the way where you go, all of this hyper violence and and over the top action is done without any kind of satirical self awareness, in which case today's film, uh, Robocop, is basically proto fascist pro cop propaganda. But then if you actually watch the the films more than once or with attention to what uh, they're doing you will see that Verhoeven is consistently an anti-fascist, um, anti-corporate, uh, often anti-capitalist filmmaker. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, this this is kind of like the the eternal problem with satire, right? Is that there are there are people who will willfully or otherwise choose to not get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that said, Ver, Verhoeven, like, you have to be actively not getting it <laughs> with Verhoeven. Like, his... Yeah. his uh, stuff is not subtle at all, and I think one of the big hallmarks of Ver- Verhoeven not being subtle in the slightest. Um, in Robocop, um, we are constantly treated to all these like inserted news segments. <laughs> yes, there's some of my favorite parts of this entire film. Where they're like, they're so funny and they're so well done, and it'll be like two two newscasters just smiling and happy, happily recounting some unbearable tragedy. And that mirrors mm-hmm. with um, Starship Troopers, um, another one of John and I's favorite films. But in Starship Troopers, you get a very similar sequence where you get all those like um, uh, advertisements for the military, you know, and it's just like like kids stomping on bugs, like I'm doing my part kind of stuff. And it's like the satire here is unbearable. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I think it's I think it's really easy to miss that satire if you uh, if you if you don't pay attention to like the fact that he's deliberately making jokes Yeah, yeah, Verhoeven Verhoeven is definitely like it's it's kinda of, it's kinda of weird to say this when you consider that like probably Robocop and Starship Troopers are his two biggest films, but like slightly intellectual work going on in Verhoeven and like But I mean like with that said, like Ver Verhoeven makes it really easy to pick up on what he's trying to do with his films. Uh, uh yes. sometimes, right? Like of course like he, he intended part of Robocop to be like a Christ parable. And to have a lot of Christian uh, <laughs> messagery, and that stuff, like that stuff, gets a little bit lost in the Ed Two Hundred Nine fighting a cyborg. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> um, but let's kind of let's kind of start with those those film segments because. Hello, listeners. In the show notes of today's episode, you will find links to bail funds, mutual aid groups, and other associations that are working to make the world we live in less of a capitalistic nightmare. These organizations are always looking for money and resources and help. And I highly encourage you to reach out and find ways to help. Given COVID, given the nuances of our lives, not all of us can show up on the front lines of a protest, but we can all do something. Many hands make light work, 
And if we all pitch in, we can truly create a better society. And with all of that saccharine good stuff out of the way, back to RoboCop. Um, and this is maybe what this is the reason that we wanted to talk about this film, right? So the, one of the very first um, news segments um, at the very beginning of the film says that the city of Detroit has reached a deal with a inc- massive corporation, OCP, to provide policing services for them. Uh, this is a film essentially about the privatization and massive militarization of policing in urban working class areas, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the gist of it. Uh, hopefully people will start to see why we decided to look at this film at this particular time. <laughs> um, where, do, where, where do you want to start with Robocop then? Well, I, th- I, think we can, I think we can pick it up right there with the militarization of police. Like mm-hmm. the the beginning of Robocop is the introduction of the Ed 209, which which um it's a, effectively a a militarized robot for the police force, which we we have in our streets today. There are places in America where the the cops have little robots wheeling about town. Yep. And like it's I think it's important to point out that like you'll see on Twitter every now and then like somebody posting like oh the Simpsons called this twenty years ago they predicted the future. Um, and like with RoboCop, especially you can be like, Oh, Paul Verhoeven predicted the future. But the really, I think the really key thing to point out here is that in the moment that when the Simpsons were writing, when the writers were writing those episodes of the Simpsons, when Paul Verhoeven was creating RoboCop, they were describing a condition they currently lived in. They yeah, weren't absolutely. predicting a horrible future. They were reading a horrible present and just extrapolating it one step further. Yes. So like the whole, the whole, uh, opening section at OCP headquarters is, is is just amazing and if you want proof that like Verhoeven is the one of the best like Hollywood s- satirists of the of the corporate world watch the watch like the opening 10 minutes because the whole point of the Ed 209 like <laughs> like hugely aggressive cyborg is that um OCP want to maximize the profits from their deal in providing policing services to the city of Detroit. So they want a policeman who never sleeps, who never eats, who never needs to go off duty. And um, what they come up with is basically like two machine guns on legs. (laughs) (laughs) This is so telling too, because a lot of, a lot, a lot of people wonder what a society without the police would look like. Right, because we have we we live in a world with so much cop propaganda, aka copaganda, and mm. and that is that has clouded our popular imagination of what police do, right? And so, like you know, you watch the Andy Griffith show, and what what do the cops do? Well, they they have fun through town. They'll pick up the drunk and let him sober up in the cell. They'll find the lost dog. You know, they're they're out helping the community. But like RoboCop lays this bear, right? Because when you're making a robotic police officer. You you mm-hmm. strap two machine guns to a human killing robot, you know yeah, you you, you don't you don't put a bunch of puppy treats in a little puppy bed on wheels to go find lost dogs. So what is the function of police? Uh, protection of property, social control, enforcement of a white supremacist state. You know, yeah. like none of the propaganda features, and that's one of my favorite parts about RoboCop is it's just laying it all bare. Because it's it's dialing up it's dialing up the propaganda to its logical endpoint. Where it goes, like, well, you know, if you, 
if you if you think that the cops are adorable and just doing their job, let's show you. Let's let's just keep pushing at all the things that already exist in policing. Let's just keep pushing. Let's just keep let's keep accelerating. Let's go over the top with it, and that's what you end up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of the one of the key factors that we see in the, of of the militarization of police and how that works is corporations. Mm. Right, the, the the police aren't like smithing tear canisters in in their precinct basement you know like there are companies involved that are directly and materially profiting off of police attacking savagely brutalizing protesters right when you when you see them firing like in seattle just issued a moratorium on tear gas because they ran out you know uh, we you know we, we saw this early on a lot of the protests cities kept running out of tear gas and this is a windfall for the company that makes tear gas you know, like these, these aren't isolated systems. They're deeply interconnected. And we see this in RoboCop, right? Um, Omni, mm-hmm. Omni Consumer Products is a mega corporation that has just struck a deal with Detroit. They're going mm-hmm. to uh, revitalize part of downtown Detroit and turn it into a utopia. But as part of the deal, Omni, aka OCP, gets to control the Detroit police force. Yeah, economic, the economics of it will always come out, right? And we've seen this in the real world, right? When local police forces have access to huge amounts of financial resources, um, usually usually on a state and federal level, right? So, mm-hmm. but that, that money comes with expectations of what it can and can't be spent on. Um, I, I said this on, on, on Twitter a little while ago, but like every municipal city budget in the United States genuinely just looks like the drill tweet for candles <laughs> but, but for hyper militarized police forces basically yeah but but even more unbalanced it's like you know there's three million dollars being spent on education 1.5 million dollars being spent on infrastructure in a city 650 million dollars being spent on arming the police <laughs> And so all of that money, the economic incentives are absolutely, um, absolutely a part of why you've seen the acceleration of police militarization. And so this is why, um, you know, some people get very kind of dismissive of the call to defund the police. I think it is a good first step and that's it. But, you know, all of that money that's spent on, you know, armored personnel carriers, uh, every dollar that's spent on that is a dollar that can't be spent on like schools or like harm reduction services or um, literally anything useful, literally, literally anything useful that would actually help communities be safer. <laughs> we, we could all be traveling to work on a magical slip and slide with the ridiculous budget we're pouring into the cops having like tanks in mid-sized American cities having tanks. You know, it's, it's purely asinine. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's and it's this is something that the film picks up really well on, right? Because one of my favorite moments in the early sections of the film is when the when the old man, the head of OCP, is talking about the company, and he says that the company has traditionally has gone into areas that have been traditionally seen as low profits and have made them profitable. Um, and the 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 example that he gives is healthcare. And so healthcare, it becomes a business. So you see human life as a commodity. 
and what happens when you take that logic into something like any other area of community life. So they take it to policing and the same logic comes out. You see human life as essentially a commodity. The, uh, the people of Detroit uh, are seen as something that is both a threat and a necessary thing because they need people to come and work in their utopian city they're trying to build. Mm-hmm. And, the pol- and the police become both an expense and a resource that has to be maximized. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that I think that's that's an absolutely correct reading of not not only what's going on inside of RoboCop, but what's going on inside of like most American cities. Mm. And I think like so, so RoboCop is depicting the kind of merger of the police and the corporation as this like bizarre dystopian thing, but it was already going on. It's been going on for the last fifty, sixty plus years in American history, right? The more mm-hmm. the more these private corporations that sell weapons have vested interests in the funding that police departments receive, the more yeah. they're going to funnel these weapons in to the police. And, mm-hmm. and if, if the police have, have you know, like armored personnel carriers, turrets, uh, you know, like uh, war crime gas, they're going to mm-hmm. be using that as part of this economic cycle. I think this connects to, to something that we were talking about before we started recording, which was that Eventually, eventually, uh, actually, it wasn't that it wasn't that long ago. Actually, the city of Detroit did actually declare itself bankrupt. You know, so as you said, Verhoeven is not kind of pointing into the future, but just exa- extrapolating from already existing trends. So there are two things that I want that like we 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 spoke about, which is the privatization of the police, which is a classic example of neoliberal politics functioning, right? Neoliberal governmentality, which is where you go, the only way to do anything is through the logic of the marketplace, right? The the idea of having a a state is uh, no longer tenable. You can't have a state that actually does anything. So politics is replaced with the logic of capitalism. So you privatize what used to be the functions of the state, healthcare, education, policing, and so on. But what you also do is you privatize the space in which people live. Because the whole the whole uh, kind of premise of what OCP are doing is that they basically want to create a private city. Um, I wonder what you thought about that connection between the privatization of the functions of, of, of government and the privatization of space. I, I think, I think this, I think this is a really, really important conversation that, that, that can't be lost in what's going on in RoboCop and both the world today. And that the, the function of, of police is social control and the protection of property. That is what mm-hmm. they do. The more corporations privatize things, the more police have policing to do. Right. Mm-hmm. The more the more corporations ensnare and entangle everything, the more things you can be arrested for. Right. Like it's it's illegal to sleep outside because corporations have made it so. Right. Like more and more in America, like like a lot of the parks, a lot of the places that we perceive as public space, are privately held, and and just often loosely policed. Mm-hmm. Right. But the police can still be summoned in to kick everybody out at a moment's notice. Right, yeah, like, absolutely. like we we have no pu- we have no meaningful public space upon which to gather, right? So these two systems are completely intertwined, and I think this leads us into a lot uh, deeper and incredibly important conversations, right? Like that, this this is all an extension of a, of a slave holding colonial empire, 
right? Yes. The, the, the fact that these corporations are hyper-privatizing everything, the fact that police are like, like curfew is a great example of making up a law just so police can beat people. You know, like like they, they took away curfews in a lot of cities for this weekend and in those cities, violent altercations between protesters and police dropped. And that's because yes. the police lost that pretext to, to just start fucking assaulting everybody. <laughs> I mean, this this always makes me think of that um, that anecdote that when um, the New York police force went on strike, crime actually went down. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think this brings up a really important point, right? We've talked about we talked about the links between large corporate structures and policing. We talked about the violence that is inherent in policing. Um, and over the last week, I think we've seen not only um, in the States, but in the UK, much more kind of high level public discourse about the idea of um, abolishing the police. Um, so maybe we can talk talk about that just a little bit. What, is, what does that look like? Because I know you probably know a little bit more about this than me. What does it mean to talk about abolition? So, so I think Robocop points us in a really interesting direction for this, right? Because part, part of the inherent conceit of Robocop is that you have a, a good cop versus the bad cop. You know, mm-hmm. like the, the bad cop in Robocop is Ed 209, the killer robot, and the good cop is Robocop. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and a lot of the movie is the heroics of Robocop. He's, he's stopping these kind of like, amorphous thugs from from doing violence and this this leads into like the question of abolition right because we're we're at a moment where like major american cities are floating the idea of abolishing their police systems and replacing them with some some other community-based options and that is that that is a first step and a great part of abolition defunding the police dismantling the police Mm-hmm. But the police police are part of the system, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're endemic to capitalism. The, the the capitalist slaveholding colonial state is the thing that needs to be abolished. This is the thing that sprouts police officers from its body. Yes, and that is the thing that needs to be destroyed, right? It's worth remembering that like we're we're on stolen land. You know, the, mm-hmm. there, there, is, there is a layered complexity, a deep history of violence that, that we are currently attempting to untangle. And that's what's at a head in the street. That's what's coming to a head in the, in the streets with these protests, right? You have black Americans who are, are still today enslaved by this government as part of the prison industrial complex, right? Mm-hmm. You, have, you have Native Americans who have experienced a genocide on an unthinkable and, and monstrous scale, right? And this is the violence that underpins this system. These are the things that uh, like abolition needs to address. It's not enough to just be like, oh, we're going to uh, take off $13 million from the police budget. And it turns out that's like 4% of their annual yeah. operating budget. Like that is an abolition. That, that, that's no. a token gesture. It needs to go deeper, and our solutions need to be just as systemic as our problems. Unlike in RoboCop, where their solutions are another cop. <laughs> <laughs> With protests continuing in cities all over the world, the Channel Zero Network has some reminders on how to support those who have been arrested, and those who may be arrested in the coming days and weeks. 
Arrests are one tool cops use to repress mass movements. Arrests keep protesters off the streets during demonstrations. They scare people with the threat of court cases and potential prison sentences. Alone, we feel defenseless against the police and the courts. By providing jail and court support, we can push back against this repression from the moment our comrades are taken in to the end of their court case. Before heading out into the streets, make sure you and everyone you're with has a contact number written on their body. You'll need to get in touch with someone if you're arrested, and you most likely won't have your personal belongings with you. This number can be the National Lawyers Guild, a group you're currently involved with, or just their friend who's not at the protest. If you see someone getting arrested, call your legal support number with the arrestee's legal name and birthday. If you're in a large city, you may have to determine where they will be taken. Try to find the arresting officer's precinct or unit. This may determine where your comrade ends up. In smaller cities, everyone may go to the same place. If you expect more arrests, try to stay and observe. If not, you should head to the precinct and wait for the arrestee. Once at the precinct, use the legal name and birthday of the arrestee to ask the cops for the arrest number, charges, and where the arrestee will be taken or held. Keep anyone supporting you in a loop. Be prepared to wait many hours. Keep in touch with others and take turns waiting outside the precinct. In some cases, it may take the whole night, especially if there's been a mass arrest. From here, each city and state has different processes and different jargon. Connect with local organizers and read about local laws to learn what the process will be in your area. Here are some things you might encounter. Sometimes arrestees are released quickly with a notice that they'll need to show up in court at a later date. If this happens, take the contact info of the arrestee. You'll want to be ready to offer them court support in the future. Sometimes, arrestees are charged before release. This is a longer process, usually called arraignment, which is a procedural court hearing to file charges and set bail. The court will assign a public defender for arraignments. Try to have a couple of friends attend the arraignment for support. Due to COVID-19, you may only be able to observe via video. Sometimes, arrestees will have to post bail to be released. If bail is set, let the court officer know you're arranging payment and will be coordinating with the arrestee's lawyer. If you need support making bail, connect with local organizers. There may be a bail fund for protesters in your area. No matter what happens, always relay what's happening to other people offering support. Regardless of the legal situation the arrestee ends up in, you'll need to bring some things with you. People who are getting out may be exhausted or have trouble getting home. So bring snacks, water, aspirin, bus fare, transit cards, and cigarettes. If you have a friend being held, you can bring their favorite snacks. If you know the arrestee requires specific medication, make sure to bring that too. You'll also need water and snacks to sustain yourself. Bring external batteries for charging phones as you may be waiting many hours. If you can't stay and help with jail support, dropping off materials to those waiting can be a big help. Unfortunately, there is a high risk of exposure to COVID-19 while in an enclosed jail cell. Arrestees should consider self-quarantining and getting tested. For every street action and every viral video of arrests, there are dozens of people outside the spotlight supporting the movement. It's not over till everyone's safely gotten out of prison and everyone's beaten their charges. Check out Rebel Steps jail support episode at rebelsteps.com forward slash jail support for more tips and resources. And follow Unicorn Riot and Channel Zero Network member It's Going Down for more updates. The Channel Zero Network sends y'all solidarity. Stay safe out there and never stop fighting for a better world. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a really important point. And this notion that abolition is, abolition and reform are not the same thing, right? 
um, you know, they uh, OCP start with like, we've got Ed 209, but then they go, ah, oh, it's going to take too long to get it into production. It's going to be too expensive. And so their, their reformist step is to go, well, how do we integrate? How do we make our technology, which is designed to just murder people, how do we make our murder technology more humane? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a great idea. I know. We're gonna put we're gonna put Peter Weller's mangled body into a into a robot suit. That's what we're gonna do. <laughs> uh, but there's there's that kind of. I, I think this is another important element to this, right? When they're talking about, it's it's shot from a from a point. It's a POV shot of um, Peter Weller Murphy, like uh, being sort of put into the RoboCop program, as it were. And one of them says to the other, like, well, he's dead. And, like, when he joined up, we, we got ownership of his body so we can do whatever we want to him. And it's like, you can't just get rid of the police force. You couldn't just sack them all because the power of OCP, of this multinational corporation to enact violence, to actually possess the bodies of of ordinary people, would still exist. It would still be there. Yeah, I think there's so there's a great scene in RoboCop 2, not to not to break out into the sequel. But um RoboCop 2 is all about building and designing RoboCop 2, a an upgraded better RoboCop. All of their RoboCops 2 are hyperviolent, kill everyone and then kill themselves. They're they're all complete failures. But there's a, there's a scene where after after one of the attempted RoboCop sequels goes on a rampage mm. and like destroys a chunk of a city. There's like, there's like two corporate execs and one turns to the other and he's like, get your best spin man on this. And it's like, like that, that is part of what we're, we're, we're kind of facing here. Right. Is that like this, this system exists to sustain itself. You know, yeah. like this, the system will spin what's going on. We're seeing, we're seeing today more often uh, these videos of like cops joining impromptu conga lines and kneeling with protesters and, and some joining in in a chant occasionally that 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 is literally a psyop you know like i i can't tell you how many tweets i've seen that are that are those kind of like press junket clips quote tweeted with like oh those are the officers that were beating us and gassing us four hours yeah. later yeah you know absolutely like, th the problem is systemic the system cannot be reformed you know we we live in a machine that grinds people in into a greasy congealed mass of blood and bone we we cannot make that system do anything else. This is the only function it can have. It needs to be entirely replaced. You know, and and while we're in the effort of replacing it, you know, just like we saw in RoboCop two, their their media hype men in the spin machine are going to be doing doing defense for the yeah. optics of the system. Yeah, it is a systemic issue. And RoboCop makes this incredibly clear. When Murphy walks into it's it's um he's on the south side, right? He's on the south side of Detroit. That's where the precinct is. Mm -hmm. Um and he sees his uh he, he meets his his new partner for the first time. And his new partner is another police officer and their introduction is them committing acts of police brutality. Mm -hmm. It's just them like beating the crap out of a guy in the middle of the precinct. And they both just go, hey, yeah, you know, just that's that's what you do if you're a police officer, I guess. Right. Another day on the job. And this is uh, Murphy's partner is the one who's set up as being like a very sympathetic character. And it's like, well, that's what policing does to people. That's what being a police officer does. That's why if you if you know, if you if you think of a good cop, good cops don't stay cops. Good cops quit. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The only good cops are cops that have quit. 
And Robocop is the best example of this, right? You know, like all of Robocop's quote unquote heroics in the movie are him like, like using an unprecedented and hyper militarized unilateral violence to, to attempt to solve community based problems. Like mm-hmm. Robocop is being tasked to solve problems that Robocop cannot solve. Right. He, he cannot yeah. solve decades of generational inequality. He, he, he cannot solve the genocide upon which America has been built. He can only yeah. further suppress those people from from reclaiming their rights. Precisely. And if you are interested in um, injustice, in public safety, in kind of building communities which are which are um, are free, uh, then you probably have gotten interested in 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 the abolition of the police, but any kind of uh, abolition of the police necessitates an anti-capitalist politics. We do we don't just want to replace uh, a publicly funded, hyper-militarized police force with a privatized one. What we want to do is we want to replace the systems which produce those things. Absolutely. And I, th- I think this brings us nicely to the to the ending of RoboCop. Yes, absolutely. Let's talk about the ending. An incredibly prescient ending for this weekend's political events. Uh, so the ending of RoboCop. RoboCop defeats uh, uh, Ed 209 and saves the day. Mm-hmm. And RoboCop goes to meet the mayor, right? And and the mayor congratulates RoboCop for being such a such a wonderful hero. And and in the end, you know, he asks Robocop what his name is, and Robocop is like, My name is Murphy, you know, so signaling to the audience that Robocop has found his heart again. Mm-hmm. But what we're what we're seeing here is we're seeing this neoliberal system with its liberal power figureheads trying to stabilize, right? Trying to regain power in moments of crisis. And like we, we've seen so many videos, right, where it where it's been some some like liberal governmental figure right giving giving this absolutely watered down speech about how we need to to rock, get out and rock the vote and to <laughs> to absolutely tepid or enraged audience response i i yeah. was at a rally over the weekend and and one of the things i witnessed was a member of the local government encouraging people to vote and there were like there, were, there was tepid tepid applause in the audience some nodding uh, uh the next speaker was speaking about the need to end a white supremacist capitalist state and that person had roaring, cheering applause. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love, I love the idea of like, um, hey, yes, the murder robot was bad, but look, the murder robot has a face. But this other murder <laughs> robot, hey, he's a great guy. His name is Murphy. <laughs> His name is Murphy. Look, we're even like my favorite new segment in the film is the one mm-hmm. where they send him to a school. Oh yeah. <laughs> And it's like, it's like, oh God, it's like, I, that would happen. That would happen. Did you, I mean, I remember the reason that I loved it was because I remembered like all of the, um, all of the excited, like, um, social media activity when Boston Dynamics released, uh, footage of their advanced robotics lab. Mm-hmm. And it's like robots, which can like open doors and climb stairs and chase people down. And people are going, oh, wow, this is so cool. We're living in the future. And my first thought was that's going to be used to police. Yep. That's gonna be, that's, gonna, <laughs> that's that's militarized technology. And it's going to find its way into the police. And it, and it will do it. I'm almost certain it was it in San Francisco. They had like robotic um, dogs patrolling parks 
telling people to socially distance. And I'm like, the only way is that this is going to escalate. And so what we're going to see is we're going to see more of this um, drive to normalize and to co-opt. And you go, look, we put a, we put a smiley face on the gigantic murder robot and we send it to your school. Why aren't you saying thank you? <laughs> right. And like, this is, this is literally all it is, right? Uh, you know, you know, like cops at pride is a great example of this, right? They'll send in, some some cops with like rainbow hats and a rainbow car you know and like like they they might even dig up the the few queer cops they do have to to go march in pride but but those people are traitors yeah you know like like stonewall was a riot isn't just a fun thing to say it's a historic fact led led by a black trans woman like you know we can't like this is like the 90th time i've said this in recent horror vanguard recordings but we cannot lose grasp of our history because yes. because this this liberal spin machine and even worse the conservative spin machine will will attempt to destroy our historical memory right it yes. will it will attempt to turn stonewall from this powerful intersectional uprising into uh rainbow colored absolute vodka bottles yeah, absolutely. And that and that that also extends to to the movement that we're seeing today. Right? Yeah, there'll be that desperate desire to make you go, the police are, uh, they're on your side too, you know. They're kneeling. What more do you want? Uh they're kneeling whilst they fire tear gas and and rubber bullets into your eyes. What more do you want? It's like you can't just put the smiley face on the murder robot. What we want is we want to be free of them. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ha- happy murder robots are still murder robots. We want a society where there are zero murder robots. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think, yeah, the ending of Robocop is maybe is maybe the kind of it's 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 the kind of centrist prevarication of what I think is a pretty clear anti corporate um, satire of like policing from the 1980s onwards this idea that you can bring justice if only you've got something that can shoot enough bullets at people um i but the ending i I do think is a little bit disappointing it's the only bit of the film which i'm like uh we could have we could have like pushed this a bit further right and see like like this is a uh the the kind of complexity and the problem with satire right because is the ending of robocop a satirical like thank you for getting rid of the murder robot cop murder robot cop you did a good job like like is it <laughs> is it this dual layered satire that's meant to be as absurd as it is or is it a hole in the discourse and that is something that uh, satire conceptually is kind of always tasked to grapple with yeah i th- i think that's fair maybe maybe it is just a continuation of the satire this idea of like you know this idea of celebrating our our best friend, the happy time, the happy fun time murder robot Murphy. Yeah, that's 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 how I've always I've always took the ending as uh, Murphy, who is a evil, murderous corporate cop robot, has defeated a marginally worse evil corporate murder robot, <laughs> and and now everyone yeah. is like, yay, things are back to normal, but it's still this dystopian proto-apocalyptic city ran by corporations <laughs> filled with people whose bodies are being stolen so they can be turned into corporate cop robots. And it's um, like like the movie the movie's playing that straight as a positive ending while we're sitting back as like terrified viewers. Yeah, that's fa- that's a fair point. That's a fair point. 
Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us for this mini episode. Um, as we said, at uh, some point, midpoint, the midpoint of this episode, we're also uh, we've put out um, a big list of um, organizations, of bail funds, of mutual aid funds, of um, places that are involved on the ground working for racial justice, for liberation, to free people from the prison industrial system. Um, we uh, we are going to be giving our own money. We want to encourage people to to find some funds near you, find people who are doing good work and get involved, um, and yeah, support support them however you can. Yes, links to all of that, uh, of course, in the show notes. Links will be uh, out on Twitter. Links will be everywhere that we could possibly put them. Uh, and as always, stay spooky. Thanks for tuning in, creeps. And remember, stay spooky. <laughs>